Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get started. Straight from New York. Yo, yo, this handsome man. You yo, yo. are now tuned in to Al Joe the Funk Master. Watch your grill, you'll get knocked out cold fast. And talking shit, now we talking facts. Where the man are off the back, you in trouble, came to burst your bubble. I don't shelter punches, they find home on your mind about the devil. It's the weekly scraps. You don't need a map. GPS, I'm right here to lead it. That's right. The world doesn't know it needs, but I wrote disease. Planet, fuck a name and the fame. Only legacy remains. Remember the name, Al Jermaine Sterling. Uh, it ain't shit, it ain't shit, motherfucker. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the weekly Scraps episode 163. UFC Vegas 47 is in the books. We had a great main event in terms of the technicality. Obviously, it wasn't the fight that we expected, that we were hyped up to believe that it was going to be in terms of a lot of trash talking all throughout the fight and a lot, a lot of face punching. There was a lot of face punching, but I think we kind of missed out on what... Uh, what sold us on this fight matchup in the first place. But that's the fight game. Sometimes it goes like that. Sometimes people, um, you know, they just, you know, they do what they need to do to get their hand raised. And sometimes that is the smarter decision to have made. I mean, you can ask me or some people might not like what I have to say about that. But at the end of the day, the objective is to get your hand raised. You want to be exciting. It is the entertainment business. But at the same time, getting the hand raised is by far the most important thing. Um, so just a quick recap. I, I, I don't really have much that's been going on for me right, right now, other than just training the, the everyday grind, the usual stuff like that. Um, uh, we sparred yesterday at, at syndicate MMA, Marab and I, I did some grappling, um, to, to start, get some good training in that way. And then that was like my lead in warm up. You know, I, I, I'm not really sparring like super hard right now. Obviously, the fight got pushed back an extra four weeks. So, an extra four weeks of getting punched and sparring hard, trying to do four or five rounds, doesn't make a ton of sense. You know, I'm all about longevity. Some people, they just spar all the time. Great. Different strokes for different folks. Um, I want to be able to maintain my brain cells for as long as I can and have them working for me and minimize the risk for injury because usually that's where some crazy things can happen with sparring, especially if you get lazy or the type of partners you may have may be going too hard or they may be having a tough day. So I'm just trying to do, be smart by myself so that I make it to the fight because last thing I need at this point in my career is to not be able to show up because that would just be catastrophic and career, uh, I don't want to say suicide, but just it just would not be fun to be in those shoes at that point. you know. So knock on wood, we're not going to have that happen and uh, we're doing things the right way, make sure our body stays strong. And... Um, we're building up, you know, so I mean, I like to think I'm in a relatively good spot. I got this cool little video I've been working on uh, over the weekend, a couple of hours. Uh, I'm going to post it tomorrow, which is Monday. Um, just giving a little, little behind the scenes look of some of the things we are doing in terms of conditioning. And uh, again, look how far out we are. I think yesterday made exactly 10 weeks to the fight. So for people to have said like, oh, he got tired or you need to make sure your cardio is A1, like... Yeah, that's a given, man. Like, of course, I, I train like a dog, you know, but at the same time, we need to uh, understand, like, no matter, I always say this, no matter how much you train in fight camp, if you are off the day of the fight in terms of you didn't rehydrate the right way, you didn't sleep properly, or you're not feeling well, like, those things can all hinder your performance no matter how great the training camp went. And I think people need to understand that we are still subjected to be human beings to how we feel the day of the fight. And a lot of the times, um, 
that could be good or bad. You know, unfortunately for my last one, you know, I, I just hate even like having to talk about this, but whatever. The last one, the day of, it is what it is. The, the ship has sailed. We're here now. We're going to have the rematch April 9th. Hey, guys, I know you saw the uh, announcement. Jacksonville, finally, it is official, the location. I was really bummed out. Would have been, I would have been really bummed out had they had pushed us to Abu Dhabi again, and I would just been like, dude, ah, this would have been so brutal to have to make that trip and have to bring everybody overseas. And the tough part is because everyone has a job or they have responsibilities, so they can't just up and leave for two, three weeks to come with me to AUE to get acclimated, you know? So, um... Thank goodness it's here in the States, and it's right down the coast. Right now I'm in Vegas. I'm going to fly back to New York this weekend, and I'm going to finish up training camp back home. Um, so I'll have about, so I think next week. So I'll be roughly like eight weeks. I think I'm nine weeks out, maybe nine weeks out. I got I got to double check. But I'm in a good spot, so I'm super excited. I'm just going to keep the wheels um, turning and keep everything rolling. I just spoke to Adrian Giannis today, so I believe he is going to be make, coming back out for a week's um long session to, to come give me some work again uh so that's gonna be some fun work to to have him and to have a rob um both helping me push the pace I, I he's gonna be coming out like around the first or second week of march and that's gonna be good because it's gonna be a little bit closer to the fight not too far away and not too close where it's gonna be some good look and um i think that middle ground is gonna give you that more of that feel like closer to the fight where it's not too far away and again too too close you know because risk for injury chance for injury and that type of thing and and again far out it gives you it, it's like too far from the fight so like right in that middle ground is like that sweet spot where you're like you're almost peaking but not really but you're in great shape so uh, i'm looking forward to that to having them out here again and um should be some fun some fun training hopefully we get some good behind the scenes footage so you guys can see some of the stuff that we're doing and uh it'll be fun um, other than that, hanging out with Marab and Ilya Taporia this weekend. Uh, Taporia's out here. He had a meeting with Dana White. That was cool. We went to. I didn't go to the meeting though, but um, I got to just chop it up with those guys, uh, hanging out, seeing how things work in Spain in terms of like their marketing aspect of things, which I think is pretty cool because him being Georgian and also being pretty fluent in Spanish in the Espanol, um, he has a unique uh demographic to appeal to and being one of the only high level ufc fighters over there in spain right now pretty much adopted as as his home uh he gets a lot of support which is really cool to see and i told him it's like it's just different here in the states because we have football we have basketball we have all these different sports where international sport is obviously soccer Soccer is not the biggest sport here in the U.S. because we're, we're big on football, which well, I don't know why we call it football. We don't really use our feet other than to run, um, but we hold the ball with our hands. It doesn't make sense. It's backwards. It's backwards. But we have all these other sports. We have hockey. And we have all these other things that we can tend to lean on for, like, our favorite athletes and stuff like that so we don't tend to always cater to the wrestlers or the judo players the jujitsu guys and like the combat sports realm mma so this is more of i don't want to say niche it's one of the fastest growing like people all around the states now know what this is and if you tell me you don't know what mma is I, I think you're either lying or you live under a rock because it's literally everywhere but we are so um i don't want to say spoiled but yeah we're kind of spoiled that we have all these other things that um, so one guy who may be super popular in this realm, 
like I just watched a video like Drake um Khabib didn't know who Drake was. He probably heard his music, but he doesn't know what Drake who Drake is and international pop star, so to speak. You know, but obviously he's from Dagestan. It's a different type of world, but it's kinda of like the same thing. Like we just have so many different options here that if you're popular in this sport, people may not know you because they don't follow it at all. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm just like learning the name of like Roger Roger Federer. I, I think his name is tennis player, right? So well renowned in his world and maybe to people like outside of that but to me it's just like dude i have no idea my bad i'm sorry i don't mean to offend i just really just don't know you know that's that's just what it is and here in the states like but like those sports over there man people tend to know all their heavy hitters and their top top dogs in like any type of combat sports or any type of sports in general like soccer you know so i i I just think it's pretty cool and the love that he gets and the support that he gets from his countrymen it's great to see, and I, I do hope eventually we get there as Americans, but, you know, we're, we're Americans, you know, we're, we have options, you know, so maybe that will never change. I have no idea. Um, other than that, uh, did I, I didn't do any 7 a.m. classes here. I've been rock and rolling with PT 8 a.m. all week since I got back on Tuesday, Tuesday night, so Wednesday straight through Friday morning, all 8 a.m. sessions. I was like, damn, I got up for 6 a.m. sessions back in New York, but I think I was just a little jet-lagged. And I have, like, a problem when it comes to, like, when I'm in bed, I, I tr- I'm trying to get better at going to sleep earlier, but it is so, so hard. So hard. I'm playing chess, guys. I'm addicted. I really think I have a problem. I'm in bed, like, at 1130. I'm like, okay, just two games. And then I lose, and then it's like, no, 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 I got to go go out on a win. And then if I don't win, I, I play another game. If I win quickly, I'm like, no, no, I didn't like that. It wasn't satisfying. It, it wasn't the, the itch that I needed to have scratched. You know, I needed to... To play where it's like a back and forth, like, no, 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 I got you, dog. You had me, and I came back. Now, I, I got to, I don't know. It, it's a weird, fascinating game, and uh, if it's not TV, then it's that, you know. But the TV, I can at least watch till I fall asleep, put it on sleep. With chess, I'm just like, you're, you're locked in. My eyes are baggy. I'm waking up in the morning, I'm like, like a zombie. I'm like, dude, I got I to stop doing this to myself. So this week, I'm hoping to get some 6 a.m. sessions in, probably um, tomorrow morning at uh, 10th Planet. I'm trying to get over there and get a little bit of um, work in, and then I got to schedule up my PT sessions for the week, and I'll get ready to head home. But let's get into UC Vegas 47. Um, Sean Strickland, great fight. Like I was saying in the in the opening, uh, I don't think there was anything wrong with his performance other than what people were expecting him to do. Um, they just expected more of that last 10-second blurb, 15-second blurb where he said, like, Come on, like let's stand in here, bang! I'm like, but it was just kind of weird to do it at that point, where it's just like, dude, that ship has kind of sailed already. Um, if he had done that in the beginning, it would have made for a much more entertaining fight. But it was still good nonetheless. Very smart, very stri- uh, strategical, using his jab, staying sharp on it, being wary of the takedown, not overcommitting with strikes, because that's what the, that's what you do. Jack's not the best grappler. Okay. Let me rephrase. Jack's not the best wrestling grappler, but he is a great grappler when the fight hits the floor. If he can get you down there, he can do some pretty amazing things. Flip side of that, if you are the defensive person not trying to or trying to avoid the takedown, not at all costs, but rather not fight on the ground because that's probably your weaker strength or weaker attribute, 
if you throw more combinations, you start to open up and you start to press forward, you leave yourself a little bit more exposed for your opponents to level change, throw something, intercept, tag you, and while you, you're tagged, you're trying to throw something and counter in the mid-exchange, their level change, they're on, underneath you, they're driving you to the cage, or they're driving you off your feet to the, to the canvas. Who wants that? So as a neutral fighter, you want to be smart. You want to pick one shot, one, two shots. You want to throw to the body. You want to stay long. You want to use the front kicks, the teeps that Sean Strickland was doing, doing very, very great with that. Um, Jim Hermanson was doing great with the calf kicks, and he kind of got away from it. I don't know if that first takedown he, he went for, um, maybe he zapped himself with too much expenditure, but then he looked like he hit a second win, like he hit a, his gas tank um, replenish in that fourth and fifth round it felt like he got a second burst of energy where he came through and started doing some really good things like pressing pushing the pace level changing i would say when he was throwing his cross though it was like a half punch so it was like a one two but there was no real pivot on it like a real actual commitment on the pivot so he can follow through and step through and, and attack the legs that is the one thing you guys would notice from a technical standpoint so check that out and and, and let me know what you think in the comments of course um because I do think had he had committed to that cross and really stepped through, and then if he wanted to follow through with a southpaw hook, now he's up close and the, the gap has closed where it's a little bit easier for him to get his head to the other side and hit that pass-through double or just hit that double leg or maybe even step behind and hit that trip. I don't know if you guys ever seen uh, <clears throat> high-level wrestlers. TJ actually did this a lot against John Lineker where you throw a combination, the guy would throw maybe a hook or a jab, you shoot underneath, and they're, you're, you step through, so if I'm orthodox, my I will step through, throw something, and then my right leg will step through, and I would step behind your lead leg, which is your left, orthodox, orthodox, and hook and reap the ankle as I drive through in a double, and now your, your lead leg is locked out, and you're falling backwards because you can't pull it back because that foot is hooking your leg straight and almost a... a, a where the vantage point is just locked. You can't really pivot that joint anymore, you know? So it's a very dangerous move to drill if your opponent is not, your partner is not aware that you're going to do it. So be careful with that, guys, because I've seen a lot of guys tweak their knees because one guy's just shooting and not letting the other person know so they don't move the right way. And that's how people get hurt. You got to be conscious of those things. But I'm not saying that's what her, what her Manson should have done, but I'm saying had he had thrown that cross and extend all the way through, maybe some different options could have actually presented itself in terms of really making the, the takedown threat more of readily available. And then Sean would get right back to the center and back to this dance again, hands up, um, pop jab, back up, pop jab, right hand cross to the body he throws like his right hand like super weird where it's almost like not it's never really straight it's almost like boom boom almost like a like i don't even know what to call it but it works it lands and that's what it's supposed to do it does damage you know so at the end of the day i think sean fought a great fight split decision whoever that ref was hopefully that wasn't a ref i don't i don't even know I, that was just weird to me like 48 47 for jack was i <clears throat> Like, which rounds would you give him? I mean, the first? Okay. Maybe you could give him the fifth round for the, for the pace he was pushing and the, the volume that he was starting to pick up with. But I don't think there's any way you can argue that Jack won three rounds of that fight. I, I don't think in anyone's right mind watching that fight could have been like, well, obviously, clearly one guy, very important guy who's sitting cage side. Uh, I don't know what he was looking at. I just wish these refs could have some type of explanation for their judging because, again, these things are life-changing decisions in the palm of people's hands, and there's no accountability for 
why they picked or leaned the way that they did. And I think that will help elevate the sport so much more. Give us some ground to stand on, to understand your your rationale behind why you chose the way you did and why you chose this round the way you did. And someone might not have seen that round that way at all. Um, there was another judge who gave the one of the fights 30-27. I was really confused because I'm like, um, the maximum fight. I'm like, at what, I, the first round, I'm like, clearly Puna won. And even that third round, you could make the case that Maximov literally just only held on for dear, I don't want to say dear life, because that's that's a stretch, but literally just held on. I know his nose was busted up, but he literally just held position for five, almost five minutes. And Puna was throwing bombs to the body. Um, whether or not you're saying that hurts or not, it, you're, you're doing damage in what we call a fist fight. So in terms of control versus damage, I think if the damage outweighs the control because the control led to no damage, you have to score for the damage. That's just my personal opinion. And I'll rephrase that. <clears throat> if the control leads to no damage, meaning I'm just holding on, holding a leg, transferred up to your back, I'm getting hit with elbows, I'm rolling through, I'm hitting you in the face with elbows, and then you're just changing your head position, you're still holding on, you're behind me, you... you, you you don't even pick me up and slam me. You grab the ankle. I try to roll through, and then you just sag on me, and you control, and I'm landing all these big shots. I, and we're not even up to that yet, but uh, we might as well just, just slide right into that. Great job, Sean Strickland. But, yeah, so you get into those positions, and then the other guy, while you're sitting on the legs, is landing big elbows to the ribs, or he's posturing up while you're holding on underneath him, and he's crushing you to the to the ribs or throwing some ham fist to the head. And the other guy is just holding on and transitioning, but there is no threat of a finish. And there's no threat of damage or affliction of damage. How in anyone's right mind could you say that guy won? Like if you were in a school cafeteria or at the school and one guy was just holding on and the other guy was throwing these shots, they're going to oh, all the kids say, oh, oh, nah, oh, oh, his rib, oh, that body. No one is saying, oh, he's holding you. And I'm a grappler. I love grappling. But it drives me nuts because I think there's a heavy emphasis on grappling with no damage. There has to be some type of affliction of damage or some type of advancement to finish the fight to make that score in your favor. That's all I'm saying. Maximov, great jiu-jitsu guy. Those takedown transitions beautiful the way he was able to hold on and puna wrestled at warburg d3 we both wrestled d3 he was at the powerhouse school that pretty much won it almost every single year and still winning it to this day um russell one of my teammates um joey giamita who is a i think two-time national champion or um a one-time champ one-time finalist either way uh, he wrestled him uh and I know Puna could wrestle. If you watch what he was doing, some of the stuff was super high level from both guys. There was a lot of scrambling on both both um, positions, and both guys transitioning very well. And uh, I do think um, <clears throat> there were some positions where Puna was transitioning, where he was trying to stop the takedown. Uh, then he would kind of like have the leg straight and then belly through, as opposed to so. There was, I wish I could show video, guys. But there was positions where Maximov would circle off and then he'll cut back to the double. As Puna is level changing, he'll take the right arm out. He'll reach inside of the thigh and he'll try to elevate and pull Maximov up so he can get his hips out. He would do a great job with that. Maximov will hold on and then just drive back through and Puna would do almost like a split situation and fall back down into a double. And then Puna would be back up and then trying to scramble all over again. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. 
had one thing I will say. I think if Puna went inside and was going for the switch and he did that little hip heist. So he goes inside right hand, then locks it up with the left. He hip heists out. And then instead of throwing the shot, stuffing the head and getting his hips away completely and just letting Maximoff carry his weight while his arms are locked out, fully extended, putting a lot of pressure on this labrum, rotator cuff, and AC joint by just arching. Because the shoulder doesn't bend this way because of that joint. It's meant to go this way. We're meant to enclose ourselves. So when people start to rip our shoulders back, notice how that starts to hurt. And that's what the wrestling sprawl situation is for. I always stress to my guys, when you are sprawling, stuff the head and keep your hips to the mat. And we call it, D, I always say D to the mat. D to the mat. Put your D in the sand and bury it. Because now there is no room for that guy to get their hips back underneath you so that they can pull and suck their arms in and keep their strength. When their arms are extended, they are the weakest. That is when the shoulder is most vulnerable for damage. Labrum tears, rotator cuff. So you have to keep that type of pressure in order to keep these guys who are strong, because we're strong in our shoulder joints. We're all big, strong guys, even girls. Um, so we have to understand that if we keep that pressure long enough, and I, and the same thing, because my last fight, I went for the hammer fist instead of control. Same thing. You went for the shots, um, trying to cut the corner as opposed, and this I'm saying for Puna, this, so this, this to me is a teachable moment, even for myself to kind of remind myself, by getting in a position like that, stuff the head, Keep the hips glued, D to the mat, um, D in the sand. Don't let this person get back up. Control our ankle and just keep the pressure on the shoulder. And and eventually they'll wear on them. And then once you start to wiggle the hips and get that, that hip bone or oh, right on that shoulder joint, they're going to want to let go. They're going to want to. That's just that's just wrestling, you know. So um, great fight from both these guys. I, I did think 29-28 for sure. I wasn't sure who was going to get it. I did think I was leaning more towards Puna because of that first and second round. The first round was really the coin flip for me, though. I could see how it could go to Maximov because <clears throat> he actually landed some stuff. He was throwing a beautiful cross down the middle and then transitioning right into his double leg. High level. And that's kind of what I was saying about Jack. Um, Hermanson, if he were to commit to his cross, it opens up the attack a little bit more for him to get on the legs because now your opponent is having to deal with you squared up with them. So you get a little bit more of your hips underneath your partner, your part, uh, opponent, as opposed to throwing a, a one, two, half punch, and then you're shooting from so far out that you don't really get to get your, your strength underneath you. And I say your strength, meaning your center of gravity. If your center of gravity is, is, so your partner's here, your center of gravity is underneath them, it's easy to pick them up. If your center of gravity is spilled out, it's trying to like it's trying to like do a a a a bench press without it being like you try to bench like say you lay on a flat bench. This is gonna be the perfect analogy, I think. <laughs> you're on a flat bench, you're doing your just your bench press right here, right? Right at the chest. This is your center of gravity where your arms are right in the center of your body and you got the most maximum strength here. Super easy. Now, if you're on that flat bench and you try to do a bench press from over your head like this, you're, you're going to be a lot weaker because your, your limbs are being taken away from you. So if you get your center of gravity underneath you, everything is tight. Your arms are tight. Everything's underneath. You're compact. You're strong. Your extremities are closer to your body. Easy push. As opposed to trying to grab something from out here because you're too far away with your strikes. Now, you get underneath, you throw that cross and you commit all the way inside. Now, you get underneath with that with your arms and you attack your center of gravity is a lot tighter. So, I'm giving you guys game right now. Thank you. Hit that like button. <laughs> um, great fight.
A um, couple other ones we'll touch on real quick. Uh, Rachmanov, uh, Rachmanov, Rachmanov, Rachmanov. Great fight against Carlton Harris. This, this, I felt kind of bad for Harris because he looked good in his two fights. But a lot older um, guy from Guyana. Uh, one of my friends, he's from Guyana. I said, you guys are up right now. And I knew this was going to be a tough fight. He's already two fights into the UFC. He had two finishes over Kasanganai and Aguilera. Both finishes in the kind of chokes, I think. Uh, and a kind of chokes and hooks to ground strikes from Kasanganai. Um, Rachmanov, undefeated, I believe. 15-0 with 15 finishes welterweight. This guy is dangerous, dude. Super, super dangerous. This guy is on a mission. Came in for Alex Oliveira. Finished him in round one. Uh, Michael Parzettis per finished him in round number two. Rear naked choke. Now he just finished. Carlson Harris spinning hill kick, hook kick into ground strikes. <clears throat> hook kick didn't even really look like it landed at first. But I feel like this was a tailor-made matchup for him. Because uh, Harris is good, but I just think stylistically you kind of just know um who has more of the physical gifts and i think that's what this matchup was about it was more about building um rock 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 Rakmanov, rock manov rock manov than than anything you know so kudos to him getting the job done you know when you get certain opponents you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do and he did what he was supposed to do and got the job done in a spectacular way i'm excited for him i who uh, the translators you guys botched his interview i'm sorry that was terrible. Uh, Bisming asked the question. You translate to him, and then he answers the question, and then you translate. You guys let him. You guys let Bisming ask the question. Then he started talking, and then he started. I'm like, dude, what are you guys doing? He didn't even get to talk. He wanted to say some other stuff, and Bisming just pretty much was like, I gotta go, man. This was like brutal. And it was a first round finish. I wish they kind of gave him a little bit more time, but I knew that was gonna happen. I'm like, see, this is why. It's it's tough, and you got to make sure you are on point with the whole package. Like you got to know how to fight, but being able to sell yourself right after having that message ready. I'm not saying write it down, but have an idea of what you want to say, and boom, let it flow, man. Just have fun. The adrenaline's pumping. Be natural about it. Um, you don't got to be super PG if unless you want to. And uh, I think that's what it's all about, man. People understand, like, you just had a fist fight. Adrenaline is pumping. Like, look at Sean Strickland. He says a lot of ridiculous shit, especially even after the fight. I was like, yo, bro, this guy, this man is wild. He is a wild man. But great fight for Rock, uh, Rachmanov. Jesus. Brendan Allen took the fight on short notice. Stopped Sam Alvey in the second round. Rear naked choke. Cracks him. Um, Sam Alvey was having his way. Three days notice, too, by the way, for, for Brendan Allen. Coming in, going up away. <clears throat> And being cracked a couple of times by Sam Alvey. Sam Alvey actually fought at 85 as well, so kind of similar. But a couple of times being caught by Sam Alvey in that first round, there's a few exchanges. Doesn't look like he was got he like he got hurt too too bad, but a couple of them caught him. Um, second round comes around, he makes a great change. And one of the things I was noticing whenever he was throwing those body kicks, it was super clean. Um, he had the right distance. It wasn't jamming himself up. And the other thing I would say, the last finishing touches where he went like a jab up top and anticipating that check hook from Sam Alvey that he always throws is always like that 3-2 or that 2-3. And he catches guys clean all the time with it. It's the most awkward thing. He sits against the cage. There's nowhere for him to go. But he manages to catch everybody. Sam Alvey catches everybody. Um, with that punch, even if he doesn't win, he catches you, though. Uh, so his Brandon Allen up top. He level changes, goes two to the body. He finds his distance. He knows where Sam's out. Sam Alvey is now. Comes back up top with that three. After Alvey throws his three from the southpaw position, southpaw orthodox, 
He throws his three. He throws it on a level change. So his hand's down now. He gets hit to the body. And then he comes back over the top with the hook. Touches the chin beautifully right before. Like, looked like Alvy was about to throw that too. Crushes him. Alvy stumbles down. He jumps on top of him. Puts on the rear naked choke without the hooks. Beautiful. Just savage on the, on the side. Like, to finish like that, I was like, dude, that, that's nasty. That deserves, like, fights like that, man, endings like that, there should be a bonus for all that, man. Like, to, to, to have it almost like this, not even almost like, to have it in such a way where there's only two performance bonuses and one fight of the night, there should be finish bonuses all the time. Incentivize, if you want to incentivize fighters to go out and have great fights, incentivize us by giving out a bonus for every time there's a finish. And everyone's going to go out there trying to get a finish or having a crazy fight. Um, it shouldn't have to be that way, but that's what uh, we're in this sport already, and this is the way things already are. So let's make it work for everybody. Um, Brian Battle had a great fight with um, Treshawn Gore, Gore. I thought Gore was going to win this, man, because he just hit so hard. Battle, I already knew, had the volume, and we saw in the first round, had the volume, and then in that second round, gets cracked. Eyes get pretty much shut. One of, um, one of his eyes got shut by one of the shots from Treshawn. And that's just one of the things. Like, when you have that ultimate equalizer, but the only thing I will say about Gore was I just think he was just waiting a little too much. He did initiate the takedown in the third round, <clears throat> and he got the takedown. But then Battle got right back up. Gore didn't land any damage, no affliction of damage, just got a takedown, which is good. But if the fight was closer in terms of output, then you give it to the guy who got the takedown. Okay, because he mixed it up. It's mixed martial arts, and he took you down. You, If that was, this was concrete, he took you down onto the concrete. You were on the ground. That could have been bad for you. So and I'm just, I look at it like, like that kind of thing, you know, a fist fight. So uh, now you go back, you mix it up, and... Gore is finding himself along the cage, being pressed up against cage, not really doing much damage whenever he does get the opportunity to, to break and create a race, create space in that third round. And Battle is able to just keep the constant pressure of just touching him and moving, touching him and moving. And, and I don't want to call that pressure. So let's rephrase that. Keeping the volume up of just touching and moving, pushing him against the cage and stifling the action whenever he could and playing the game of sport and winning the fight that way because it's judged by criteria and by the criteria in my book I thought Battle did enough to win the fight um if it was um if we're going by cafeteria rules the guy who got dropped we're always going to go back to that and look at that like oh nah that man dropped you dog he dropped you bad he busted up your eye bad dog like that's what we're looking at so in that regard you can say Trayvon Trayshawn won one but at the end of the day the competition battle he won, um, who is now officially the Ultimate Fighter winner. Now this next one, Julian Arosa versus Steven Peterson was a crazy fight. I did not think this was going to go this way. Juicy J was looking so clean and smooth in that first round, super technical. I don't know what happened along the, the lines of the fight where he just, I don't know, his spirit animal just came and took over and just said, nah, dog, we need blood, just bleed. Like that guy from the UFC um, picture from back in the day. That guy. I believe he's like a lawyer or something like that. I, I I might have just made that up. Maybe a teacher or something like that. But I know he has a pretty good job. They like, where is he now kind of thing. Um, and I saw like some before and after picture of him. That's him flexing. Ah, just bleed. And him now dressed up, polished, looking super clean. I thought that was hilarious. <clears throat> but, yeah, Rosa and Peterson both channeled their, their inner demons. And it was just like, yo, we're going to just go to war now at this point. And it just looked like Rosa was going to get him out of there. Was crisper. 
using the 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 proper pressure, cutting him off, and then at some way somehow he let Peterson back into the fight, finding that right hand over and over and over again, and I was just like, I always said uh, while we were watching the fight with Taporia, Marab, um, and the rest of the crew, and I go, I would hate to have my opponent busted up like this in cruise control and they just catch me and knock me out. That's just like, oh. Like, to be beating someone's ass the entire time, and then they come back and they do that, it's just, that is the most, that has to be the most frustrating and annoying thing, like, ever. That's how, that's how I would imagine that being, you know? <clears throat> so, Peterson, great job from him. He showed a ton of heart. Um, at some points, it looked like he didn't really want to be in there. But then his coaches, I feel like they did a great job of pushing him and getting him in that mindset to, to fight back. And he started pushing forward. He started to land that right hand. You could tell the confidence was starting to build after that. And then Julian would catch him again. Then they started getting these back and forth spinning contests, both landing, spinning back fists. I'm just like, dude, Julian, are you giving me a heart attack? Please, let's just go home with the dub, baby. Let's just go home with the dub, baby. Woo, dang, woo, dang, woo, dang. But great fight. They um, Piece of miss weight, I think about like four pounds, three or four pounds. So ineligible for fighting tonight. Julian takes home both bonuses, 50K a piece, plus his win bonus and his show money. So he got paid pretty, pretty damn good. That is a great start to the year. Obviously, you would, you know, when people talk about fighter pay, like this is something that we shouldn't even be like happy about in the sense of like, oh, he got 100K. Like, of course, he should have got way more than that. But in terms of where things are at right now, that is a pretty good start to the year for Julian Rosa. So, Mr. Juicy J, treat yourself and chill. John Castaneda versus Miles John. Triangle choke in the third round for Castaneda. Miles John looking very, very promising in the first round. Um, Castaneda is just keeping the, the tenacious pressure going forward, cutting off John's. John's doing a great job of what he always does to everybody. He plays the matador. He leads you into this false sense of security. You start to press forward, and then whack. He catches guys, puts them to sleep. Uh, the guy is a little pit bull, man. He hits hard. I guess he was a former wrestler. I'm not, I'm not sure what division or whatever it was or state champ or something like that. Um, I haven't done all that research. I know they were talking about it during the fight commentary. But he's a physical specimen. Not very tall. I think he's like 5'6", five, maybe 5'5". Five, five. Take a look. Oh, he's 5'7". He doesn't look 5'7". The guy looks like a little pit bull. Because um, I'm 5'7". I don't, I don't look like that. The guy looks like, like a little fire hydrant, you know? Um, Castaneda... Kept the pressure on. Johns did a great, looked phenomenal with the footwork in the first round. And then the second round comes around. Castaneda, you could tell he was starting to feel like more confident and pushing forward, having more success with his strikes. I felt like Johns was landing the cleaner strikes in round one, doing a good job of not overcommitting. But he was on his bike a lot. And we all know when you're on your bike a lot, it takes a lot of energy, especially if the other person is not going away. They're just in there in your face the entire time. And I go, I always say, like, imagine being in a training camp and both guys are training and you kind of just walk around, you walt, you waltz around when you're doing sparring and, like, being super technical. And then you change the tempo by one guy that just walks forward, walks forward. Even if he's not throwing anything, the pressure of them walking forward, you have to adjust your feet because now they're so close to you, you don't even know what they're trying to do. You don't know if they're trying to throw some elbows. You don't know if they're trying to throw knees, grab you up. Um... That's what Castaneda was doing, just keeping that constant pressure on Miles Johns. And I think that's what got him a little bit more tired than 
uh, he probably thought he would have been in this fight. The third round, it was more more of what he did in the end of the second round, picked it up where he left off, and I just thought he put on a, a perfect technical fight, showed a lot of brilliance by using high-level fight IQ and not doing anything too, too crazy where it, it would get him exposed. And he even talked about in his post-fight interview saying, like, this is what Johns does. He, he lures you in, guys get overconfident, and then they get slept. So kudos for him for recognizing that and not putting himself in a position where he could have got put out really, really bad. You know, so... Um, great fight from both guys. This just goes to show how good this bandweight division really is in the UFC and just around the country, man. Country worldwide, Castaneda, 30 years old, Sexy Mexi. Just, I just love when they just kept saying Sexy Mexi the entire time. He actually beat Marcelo Rojo on triangle choke in the third round during Kabate. I actually would like to go back and watch the fight. He lost to Nathaniel Wood, came back, beat um, Eddie Wineland, and now he beat a guy who is in his prime in Miles John. So that was a big win and feather in his cap. <clears throat> uh, Hakeem Dawudu, great fight over Trezano. Trezano looked great coming back down to 45, but Dawudu looked on point, looked sharp. I know he was talking about retiring. I know we both spoke about the, the surgery that I had, and uh, I told him it's made a world of a difference for me to get it. I don't know what he's experiencing. I was actually having muscle atrophy, and I know the frustrations of feeling like, dude, I, I don't know how much more of this I could tolerate because it's painful, man. When you're having that nerve damage, Every day, constantly waking up like that, it is very disheartening, especially when it flares up. That's when it's the worst. When it flares up in training, like, you could deal with it day to day, like, okay, this is annoying, but, okay, I could get through this. Let me just stretch a little bit, stand up, shake it out. But then when you are having the flare-ups where you can't turn your head and you got to take a couple of days off and you got to reset with a whole bunch of PT to, to alleviate the pain, it, it, it's, it's such a disheartening situation to be in so i i don't know i know he texted me he asked me about it i don't know exactly how much pain he was in but i know neck pains i've had c67 so i know exactly what he's talking about that same area um for me it was my left side i don't know if it was his left or his right side but all the way down to my fingertips um shitty situation but he looked good both guys fought a brilliant fight very technical back and forth um i feel like that was landing the cleaner muay thai strikes and was touching up Trezano a little bit more. I think activity for Trezano could have helped play a bigger role in that fight. One thing I will say, this was a complete stand-up fight. Not one of these guys really opted to mix it up. And when they did get closer to a clinch, they both had like that gentleman's agreement. Of like, nah, dog, we ain't doing that hugging shit. And they just broke off and they went right back to punching each other in the face and kicking each other in the legs and stuff like that. So I thought it was a fun fight, very technical fight. Um, both guys did some really good things. But I do think when they do fight a guy who comes in and they mix it up, it's going to be um, a little tougher and different type of fight because you got to respect the takedown. Whenever someone's looking to take you down, you always have to make adjustments with your striking, kind of like what we talked about earlier. But again, it's not like these guys haven't fought grapplers. That would do fighting Zuba, beating him split decision. And um, there was another guy he fought. Let me just take a quick look. Uh, Mosar Evluev, Mo Mosar, yeah, yeah, undefeated guy too, um, unanimous decision. But that was a good fight. Mosar, I feel like, just pretty much held on position, 15-0, but he didn't really do anything uber impressive in the in the realm of damage with the takedowns. But he won the fight based on control, and uh, I think that's a tough guy to fight, you know, um, who can control you in just about any situation and take you from your strong point of fighting on the feet, you know? So it's not like he hasn't fought a grappler before. He's fought two high-level grapplers back-to-back, -back, and now he fought a striker, and this was a very, very fun fight.
Chidi and Jukawani, beautiful knockout, 16 seconds. Um, great fight for him. Uh, Almeida gets a be uh, beautiful finish in the first round. Takes him down right away. Like throws like I, forget, I think he throws like a hard cross or a hard kick, and he shoots in from Guam. Gets in though, takes this guy down, and um, ends up eventually mounting him and putting on the finishing touches and and gets him out of there. And this last one, Philip Rowe, after the first round, uh, tough start. I feel like he does have a tendency to fight like this, but I do think it plays into his favor because he's so long and lengthy. He is well-versed off his back. He knows how to use his reach. He knows how to stay safe, which he said in his interview post-fight with uh, Michael Bisping. That helps him. So when he gets back to the feet, I do think his opponents tend to get a little bit more tired or they exert more energy than him trying to stay safe and get back to his feet because he finds the cage and he does a great job of cage walking. Maybe if it's in the center, it could be a little bit different for these guys that take down Philip Rowe. But for right now, him always finding a way to get back to the cage and get himself back to his feet is always going to help him. And I think in the long term, it's going to hurt these guys and allow him to gain more momentum as the fight goes on. Because now he's kind of chilling with not using so much energy. And the other guys are using a lot of energy to try to hold him down, blah, blah, blah. And then when he gets out... Your ten, the tendency, and I always teach my guys this when we're in training for our MMA wrestling class on Mondays and Wednesdays, um, 5.45 to 6.45 p.m. Go check that out, Law MMA. Whenever I do teach that class, I always say, after the grappling sequences, as soon as your opponent lets you go, attack their asses right away because their arms are heavy. Don't give them a chance to shake their arms out, catch their uh, wind or circle back out to the center. As soon as it breaks, you turn, you break, you keep your hands up, and you follow through, and you attack them, come up high, rip low to the body, and I'm telling you, you're going to have a great, great return and great success from doing that because I know what it feels like personally, and I know when I don't train to make sure that I can go from those exchanges right into striking right away, I know it's a scary position to be in. So I know that firsthand. So I'm like, okay, how can I change this and adapt this in my training so that when I do get to these situations, when guys think that that's going to happen, I catch them. And I think for the most part, most people don't really respond like that. So I think for the most times, guys are exhausted, and that is your opportunity to attack. And I think um, that's pretty much what Philip Rowe did. And when he got out and that second round, he was able to land. He did like a fake kick, and then he plants. He throws a big two down the middle. Pulls back, hits a beautiful three right on the chin, and then the last cross comes back and touches um, Wit and puts him down and hits him like right in the tempo. The first one stuns him. You can tell he kind of hits, puts him on pause like that airplane mode, like boom, and then he got binked again on the chin, and then the last one sat him down uh, where his legs gave out from underneath him, and he put on the finishing touches like two hammer fists. Ref jumped in, stopped it. It's a beautiful fight for the for the Fresh Prince. That's two in a row. And one of the good things, fellow Jamaican, I think first generation as well, like myself, 31 years old, born in Brooklyn, New York, now lives in Florida and Orlando. I think he started, yep, started his career 0-2 as a pro, came back, won his first MMA fight, lost his next fight, which was a kickboxing fight, and then he rattled off one, two, three, four, five, six wins in a row. Lost another fight in his UFC debut to Gabe Green. <clears throat> and then came back and, uh, yeah, he beat Leon Shabazian, which is the brother of Edmund Shabazian, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so he beats him. And then uh, a couple grappling matches. And, yeah, so not so good in the grappling aspect, but for, like, I guess, for guys who are just straight-up grapplers. But, obviously, he's given himself an opportunity to catch up 
with competition and other realms of the sport, not just strictly MMA. So most people, they tend to do just do boxing or kickboxing fights. He's doing grappling matches. So he's getting experience from all different angles and not just one universe, you know, or should I say one, yeah, one realm of the universe. He's getting different aspects, jujitsu, boxing, MMA, um, wrestling. So to be in there and, and jump in those type of competitions and understand a different mindset of competing, different nerves, um, it's always going to be good for you and beneficial for you because more experience, more times you step under those bright lights is always going to help. So kudos to the Fresh Prince. All right, guys, um, we're going to do UFC uh, 271 a little bit later. I, I want to watch Power, <laughs> and I want to watch Euphoria. So as always, guys, please hit that like button. Thanks for always taking time out to, ch to uh, check in with us. And as always, if you like my shit, subscribe to my shit or spin it back, this baby. I'll see you guys later. Peace. Hey.